welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Today we're going to have this podcast on construction industry for IOM3. Uh, we've got some great guests today for our recording. I'll let them introduce themselves individually and then we'll go and have a, a discussion which I hope you'll find very interesting about the challenges in the construction industry. So in no particular order, Andrew, if you can start and give a quick introduction to yourself. Okay, yeah, hello. I'm, I'm Andrew Dunster. I work at BRE, the Building Research Establishment, um, on materials. Um, I'm also in the IOM3. I'm a member of the Sustainable Development Group and also the Cementitious Materials Committee. Thank you very much. Sue. Hi, my name is uh, Sue Varma and um, I work in the glass industry within R&D. Uh, my main role is creating collaborative partnerships uh, with external research uh, organizations and innovation agencies to underpin um, our existing technologies and um, to help expand our horizons to new enabling emerging technologies. I'm a member of the Construction Materials Group of IOM3 and also visiting professor at the School of Engineering and Materials Science at Queen Mary University of London. My expertise is in organic chemistry and more specifically material science in general related to glass. Thank you very much, Sue. And Ali. I'm Ali Nicol. I head Constructing Excellence based at BRE. Constructing Excellence is a movement that aims to positively disrupt the construction industry. So we bring together people from right across the construction supply chain who want to come together, collaborate and deliver better outcomes for the built environment. Finally, I'm Flavie Lauras. I'll be chairing the session today. I chair the construction materials groups for the Institute of Materials, and I have over 18 years of experience in the built environment, in more particularly in sustainability around embodied carbon and circular economy. So anyway, so with no further ado, I'll start asking some of the questions to, uh, to our invitees and our guests today. And the first thing I'd like to get your view on is perhaps a question for you, Ali, to start off with. And maybe you can give us a quick overview of what you think the, the challenges will be for the construction industry in the next few years. And perhaps with a focus on the, the building safety programs uh, on the manufacturing industry and some of the government move. I think it's been quite interesting to see how the government is through the building safety program starting to hold the industry to account and initially that was around developers and holding them accountable but I think it was last week on the 24th of January Michael Gove announced that he was going to make manufacturers pay for some of these costs of recladding buildings I think that's going to make 
mean that there's going to be a different dialogue that needs to happen between manufacturers and the construction industry and their end users. I think there's a challenge for the manufacturer members that we have is that they don't always know how their products are being used. They they, They don't have visibility of the applications. And I think that holds back innovation because you if you don't know exactly how your product's being used and how your product's performing or even what building your product's in I think it makes it very difficult to deliver the added value that we know that the manufacturing sector can deliver so I think it opens up well an opportunity for better dialogue to happen some of the other challenges that the industry is facing is the, the shift to net zero and if you start to look at embodied, embodied carbon and whole life carbon, the use of the most effective materials is really important within that. And big issues at the moment is actually around materials availability and skills shortage with, resort, with um, skilled labour and resources on site. And that's been exacerbated over the past two years with COVID and Brexit, etc., causing some unexpected consequences, need for better supply chain management, etc. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Andrew, do you have anything you'd like to add around some of these challenges? The embodied carbon piece, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of talk about that as the, as the uh, electricity grid decarbonizes and the shift away from so much focus on operational energy in buildings. The focus is coming much more on the embodied carbon in the materials. So I think that's going to be a big, a big focus in the coming years, definitely. No, absolutely. So yes, I guess the grid decarbonization will help somehow, but it's there is still a need to reduce the, uh, the energy demand, isn't it? Um, but actually, energy is an interesting point because there's a lot of discussions and talks, and we know that the energy bills are going to go up by up to 50% quite soon and uh, that will hit the, um, the homeowners obviously the the, uh, the tenants and the, the occupants but Sue I don't know if you have a point of view about how that might affect some of the manufacturing industry. Yeah I, th- I think that is the, one of the big concerns is um, you know with the we have actually got a, a, a double whammy situation if you want to call it that and um, we have the rise in energy costs, which is here and now, um, due to a whole multitude of reasons people know about. But then there's also the cost of um, the, the carbon content in the fields in terms of carbon credits and all those kind of issues as well. So we've got to actually start using less carbon-based fuels, uh, lower the amount of energy that we actually use. So there are the, the kind of things that manufacturers can do in, in the foundation industries, they, they're very fixed with what they've got. And, uh, high capex investments in terms of manufacturing, but they can, they have to try to make their processes more efficient. Uh, that's for sure. That's a given. Then they can try to use uh, lower cost fuels, um, with, hopefully with a lower carbon content, and really look to digitalization in a big way, big way uh, in the future. But one of the easiest, fastest hits uh, they can they can have is to use pre-made glass, what we call colored. And, and therein lies a big problem in the supply chain is how do you get your hands on pre-made glass? Glass that's been used in buildings um, previously because this lowers, if we get hold of it, this lowers the, the temperature of the melt, which of course then uses less energy. 
and that has a knock-on effect on costs. So the, the, there are big challenges and it's um, some of the parts of the operation are not as flexible as you would imagine, but it, it cuts across all foundation industries, these sort of challenges, I think. That's a very good point. And, and you touched on the supply chain and we currently have a very global supply chain, which has been uh, quite disrupted in the last uh, few months. We've seen some big impacts uh, from that uh, cargo that was uh, blocked um, in the Suez Canal and uh, really disrupted the, um, the delivery systems. And I, I just wonder, based on so linking that kind of globalizations and some of the issues that we're facing at the moment and some of the challenges that you just touched on, Sue, I just wonder what you think about how the supply chain might change in the future. And I wonder whether that may be something, Andrew, you can, you'd like to come in on to? Um, I think it affects the glass industry to an extent less um, than you would expect because glass um, plants tend to have their customers within a few hundred miles, two, three hundred, four hundred miles at the most because of their cost of transport is so high. Um, so that in terms of minerals or materials that's required is also reasonably uh, local in that sense. It's, it's more national rather than international, uh, again, due to cost and, and um, logistics. So it doesn't affect us as much, but I think there is already a challenge nationally anywhere in the world to procure some of these things like pre-made glass coming from uh, when at the end of life. So it, it's not just so much an international problem, it's also a national problem. Um, if you take the UK, for example, the supply chain is very disrupted. I mean, there is no particular supply chain for that sort of um, commodity. Very good, thank you, and yeah, Andrew. I can, yeah, I can, I can speak from the point of view of my knowledge of the, the cement and concrete industry. Um, similarly with, uh, to glass, the, the materials are sort of low, uh, the raw materials are low, are low cost. So they're sourced quite locally in terms of the aggregates and the, and the, the clay and the, and the limestone that they use to make cement are all, all local to the cement plant. One uh, slight exception to that is, is materials that are used as supplementary cements like ground granulated slag from uh, iron and steel manufacture. And that tends, that's becoming more of a global commodity um, and it's it, because it's uh, it can save carbon in the concrete mix. It's in quite heavy demand and has been affected by shipping costs. So there are some materials, particularly in the cement end of things, that, that are imported and, and things are potentially a bit uh, a bit difficult at the moment. Great, thank you very much, Ali. Is there something you would like to add to? Um, the issue around global supply chain and maybe how it's hit some of the the way we build and the way we use materials. I think in the short term at the moment, it's really pushing up costs on projects and it's having an impact on predictability of costs and programs are being hit as, at the moment as well, because we've been relying on supply chains that we perhaps don't have as much visibility of as we should. Um, so we're not aware of those impacts as much as we should be until we actually get hit with those impacts. Um, I do think that the issues around material availability and costs are really having an impact that, you know, how much of that do suppliers pass on to their clients? 
um, how, do, how does that impact on program delays, etc. So there's going to be some really interesting case law going to come out of this as people start to find out how how they how they manage this. Um, I think it'll be it requires everyone to look work together on um, and collaborate at an industry level. But I think we're go we're definitely going through a very interesting time and when we go through some of these challenges it really does mean that you've got to innovate and think differently about how you where you source materials from how you work effectively with your supply chains we i was talking to somebody recently who you know if you're if you're the client that's always going for the lowest price you're less likely and you treat your suppliers badly you're less likely to be prioritized so i think you know there's there's got to be a grown-up relationship there about how we interact with those supply chains effectively. Very good. And, and actually putting this whole issue about materials cost and availability into the kind of the context of the net zero agenda and kind of the need for the industry to, to decarbonize. Do you think, Ali, that um, this might be a timely opportunity for the industry to embrace more circular economy and, and looking into reusing more of the materials, which very often end up going to landfill, probably far too early. Yeah, I think we've known for some time that the construction industry has been quite inefficient, yes. you know, about how it uses product and material. I think things like the landfill tax have shifted it forward and the last sort of 15, 20 years, but there's still quite a way to go. I think there's still a lot of wastage. I think this is where things like MMC and digital technologies come in because you're actually, you know, planning better. You're, you're, you, there's going to be less waste on site. You know, the, you're actually procuring what you need rather than what, you know what you think you need plus a little bit more and things go things go to waste they're not they're not used you know it's it's shocking that you know so much stuff just goes to landfill without being used and that's before we start moving into things like reuse circular economy etc i think it requires a wholesale different approach to how we value buildings and assets and you know we do know that there are people who are looking at those circular models there are aspects that are easier to reuse you know the classic is crush it all and make it hardcore but actually what we need to be doing is deriving those high value uses for for those techno for those materials so you know obviously steel is quite an easy one to extract but you've got to put it together in the right, right way so that you get that maximum value at the end of life absolutely i agree it's it's not just the materials but it's also how you bond them together that makes a big difference isn't it and and i guess the fact that materials were so easily available at a very cheap price just kind of meant that actually we could afford that kind of behavior but probably not so much moving forward yeah and it's you know every challenge brings an opportunity and actually an opportunity to change that behavior and make people value things more and innovate around how to to maximize the use of the materials etc i think it's going to be that's going to be a great thing if that's what comes out of this i hope that's what 
what's come down with this but you know we're not always the best at improving no that's a that's a good point Andrew do you mm. want to come in at this point and and maybe uh, give us a little bit of a view of how you think that perhaps some of these uh, challenges or this uh, might be turning into opportunities either around the supply chain or the way we we build and use materials um yeah, I, I think circular economy is a, is a great thing because you invest so much uh, with thinking of steel, steel and concrete, you invest so much energy and effort into the into the materials. Um, it's, uh, it seems great pity to, to then you know, break it up and, and make it into a, try and uh, reuse it as, as a, a low grade material. And particularly with uh, with concrete, one of the best things you can do with it, with it rather than lock it down the highest highest carbon the best carbon benefit is going from refurbishing the buildings on the whole so if you if you, you design a, a concrete structural frame such that you can uh, it's adaptable and, and you can uh, strip it out and, and completely refurbish it extend its life that, that's then a far better use of the of the concrete than taking this hugely uh, material that's taken a lot of effort and carbon to make uh, particularly the cement side of it and uh, to then crush it down to a to a to a hardcore effectively, but the fact it's such a long life as con concrete and building frames tend to have such a long life. It's applying the circular economy to it is a bit less straightforward than say furnishings, for instance, or carpets, which you know turn turn round and have a much shorter lifetime before you turn them around and and re reuse them or or whatever what have you. It's a very good point that you touched on because we tend to uh, think that news better. And I think it's not just the construction industry. I think it's general kind of point as a we we just tend to imagine that news better. But actually, refurbishing buildings can have huge benefits. It can be obviously in terms of carbon. It means that you might have less carbon into uh, embodied carbon into the construction stage. But you can also it might be less disruptive for the occupants in some cases as well. It's interesting that there are some architects that are starting to win some really prestigious prizes for refurbishing buildings as opposed to demolishing and, and starting from new. It's obviously a little bit more challenging to refurbish from an architectural point of view mm. uh, because you're starting with something that is, is already there and you haven't got a complete blank canvas, but it can bring to some very, lead some really interesting projects. So it's it's interesting times ahead in that in that respect. Um, Sue, I was just wondering whether you might be able to, from your point of view, tell us what you think maybe um, the the industry would need in terms of research and, and input in order to maybe help them to take that next step, that next leap into this this new approach to construction. Yeah, I think there's this, um, a lot of research already ongoing. I'm, I'm you know, I'm aware of, um, and I think, you know, we would definitely encourage anything in the area of, for instance, take one example is modular construction, where you have, you know, specified um, sizes or whatever it might be. And this certainly, if, if with proper design, and I think design is gonna be a very big element in, in all of this, encouraging designers to get more involved in how do you actually use materials? You know, if you make it too difficult or too complex and too expensive, and they're, you know, following that, then I think the take up will be very low for renovation. You need simple, you know, reusable sort of um, um, designs. And I think modular is certainly one aspect of that. And 
it also helps in, on at the end of life when you have to disassemble things. You know, it's very much, uh, if you like, uh, a Lego-like um, concept. If you can put things together in a in a in a in a designed way, you can also take it apart in a designed way. And I think it, you know all of the material suppliers would be very happy to receive their materials back because it certainly helps them with their end of life type strategy. Certainly helps a customer because you, you're reusing things and then you, you might be able to re reconfigure that in for a, a different type of use. Uh, and I'm sure there are already leading lights and companies in this, in, in this uh, space around the world and certainly in the UK who are looking at that. And uh, we'd like to encourage that and get more involved with that as a, as a company, uh, certainly as, as a sector as well. The other ways we are, uh, we think we, we, you know, in the glass industry, certainly within my, my own company, we're looking at is the employing more of artificial intelligence and machine learning, not just for um, improving our processes in manufacturing, but also in, in designing. Uh, uh, you know, it's pretty well documented that what we do up there is we work with universities. For instance, with Liverpool, we're working with, you know, discovery of new materials for that can work with glass on conduction. A transparent conduction using uh, computational discovery. We're working with Cambridge on, uh, with you know, functionalizing the surface of glass, being jet printing on sensors, which will be required in buildings and in vehicles. And in Swansea, of course, is the best example of glass in this area, specifically where they have the active building center that came out of uh, a project called Specific, which is still ongoing. And that's really looking at buildings as power stations. So effectively, the building generates all it needs and it has a sum to export into the national grid. I mean, these are fantastic concepts and they're working their way through that. And it, you know, it, it also changes the mindset of people on how they will use materials in going into the future. That's one aspect. The other aspect is actually, I find that people are thinking more holistically, you know, glass working with steel, working with wood working and, and how that juxtaposition of all these materials actually turns into something a lot better than what we have today. Uh, and so there's fantastic challenges, not just for the companies, but actually for the governments to fund this type of work, the universities to try and create the next generation of, of people in this, in this space. And I've got to say, certainly from my own experience that, you know, we're very, very fortunate in this country to have Innovate UK, the transforming foundation industry um, type challenges, KTN who help make the connections, EPSRC who do the more fundamental studies in universities in all of this. It, that isn't any one magic bullet, is it? I mean, it's just a whole continuum of things that need to be done over the next 50 years to solve these problems. But yeah, I, th I think, you know, it's a lot of, that's why I have a lot of interest in design, as you, as you know, because I think design-led is um, a very powerful, a powerful thing. That was, that was very interesting. Thanks, Sue. You touched on something that we mentioned a few times in our conversation, which is um, MMC. And I, I wonder, Ali, if you can maybe explain to the audience a little bit what MMC or offsite, uh, as it's sometimes referred to, is very briefly. And maybe, and I know you've done quite a bit of work in your group around that, but also had some interesting discussions about how MMC can help with uh, circular economy in particular and taking these approaches and, and some of the things yeah. that you've MMC stands for Modern Methods of Construction. It's not the nicest acronym in the world because we've been talking about modern methods of construction, well, since I, before I joined the industry. So, you know, a few years. Um, but I think the fact that we're still talking about it as modern really highlights the need for the construction industry to accelerate how it innovates. And I think 
you know, Sue touched on the Innovate UK and the support that they've done, the Transforming Construction Challenge Fund, which is the, the equivalent of the Transforming Foundation Industries Challenge, and how that has really helped accelerate. What we're starting to see is much more practical, tangible examples of where the industry is embracing this. One of the areas that really needs to change, I think the technical challenges are there and how do you how do you make sure that everything goes together effectively? How do you make sure that you're using the right materials in the right ways, et cetera? But the, the big challenge, as I see it, is actually how you procure this. It's the, the construction industry doesn't communicate well with the manufacturing base, and it needs to do that. If you're going to make MMC work, you've got to think differently about how you procure things. You've got to think about things up front. You've got to make sure that things are designed for MMC. There's no, or designed for manufacturing assembly, DFMA, which is another term that gets used in this, con in this context. You've got to use different tools. You've got to digitalize. You've got to standardize. And standardization doesn't mean that everything looks the same and mm -hmm. you're bringing it down. What standardization means is that you're working off the same systems and the Construction Innovation Hub are doing some fantastic work in this through the, their platform program, where they're looking at what the sort of rule book should be for platforms. And I think the more rules we have, the more we can really effectively innovate because you, you're setting those parameters. Those parameters we may want to change in the future, but as long as we've got that level playing field, everyone can have that conversation in the right way. I think people are so focused on getting their own commercial advantage, so they want to go off and develop their own systems, but actually what you're going to have is a, a large slice or the entire, you might have a cupcake rather than actually having a, a slice of a really, really big cake, which makes it much easier for clients to, to justify, because from a client perspective, they don't want to be working with a single supplier. We were talking about supply chains issues there. They need interchangeability in the products. They need to be able to understand that if something goes wrong, they, they'll be able to maintain this. They, they'll be able to finish the project, essentially. There's so much... You know, I think a lot of this revolves around delivery models and how we as an industry interact. And I think manufacturers need to come further up that curve, that value chain, as opposed to being the people at the end that get phoned and, you know, can I have a hundred of those? Well, actually, if you had the conversation with the likes of Sue earlier, Sue might say, actually, we can do we can do 50 of these and it'll yes the unit price might be higher but in reality it's going to cost you less in the long term and that's where that's where we need to get to and you know i think we're, we're we've got pockets of that i think the other thing is there's a lot of um off-site manufacturing which is recreating what would happen on site but in a factory environment but what we've really got to do is that dfma end-to-end -end digitalized approach where you're in where you're really getting the value out of out of the manufacturing sector and really learning from it i think um there's been some brilliant work done by the transforming construction network plus around that supply chain issue and productivity so there's, there's some brilliant sort of digests which are great for those of us who have got a very short attention span like me but then you can 
delve into it and find out more. Thanks, Ali. I think I think it's fascinating. I think what the the thing about the construction industry, which is quite interesting and quite fascinating, is just the size of the of it and kind of you know how many number of actors are being involved into uh, into the creation of of a building from from its very uh, first go and decisions to to make it happen to all the way to kind of the end of its life it's a it's a huge undertaking and I think one of the things that um, we have to become better at is collaboration isn't it Uh, because sustainability will not happen with without these better collaborations now we talk about, um, you know, the role of the product manufacturers. Um, Andrew, do you kind of, how do you kind of see um, the product being manufacturers being part of the, the wider discussions around um, and, and their role to play within the kind of, in answering some of the challenges that we're meeting? Obviously, Ali talked about mm. the government announcements to make them, uh, take responsibility for for what they're building but but what about kind of their engagement into the sustainability agenda for example or even uh, the digitalizations yeah i think there's, there's got to be a lot more a lot more partnership working up up and down the, sp- the supply chain and a move a move towards more rather than rather than selling individual individual products or individual materials almost a, a solution you know where you work work with the customer and not quite a one a one stop shop, but almost a, a a service coming coming with a solution rather than, than selling individual products, and then better also better traceability of embodied carbon up and down the supply chain as well, so that the producers of of building components and products know how much embodied carbon there is up up higher up the chain. I think that's going to be quite important. Very good. Yes, thank you very much. I think um, I think that's right, and it's it's all about collaboration and and you said it's communication and how you 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 communicate the things that you do because a lot of manufacturers do a lot of great things in terms of reducing the environmental impact, but in different ways, um, both how it's being communicated and and then embraced and and taking fo- forward, isn't it? So. Uh, yeah, so the contractor knows how to use the material, and then uh, the user of the building knows how to use the building in in, the, in to maximize the value of this product. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah, I was going to say how I think things can move away to how how materials are sold as well. From going back to something that Sue was saying, it's not so much say sticking with concrete construction and and just simply building a concrete building. If if you use the right kind of design, you can design intelligently to make the best use of steel say using steel beams together with concrete beams and in that way you you get a better solution you might use less material and sell fewer cubic meters of concrete or less steel but overall you're getting more more value for it as well as being more sustainable absolutely and andrea i wonder whether i can ask you a question which is related but slightly different to what we've been talking about and Mm. in the rough industries we talk about packaging as being uh, a big issue. So the food industry, uh, drinks industry is very big on packaging. There's a lot of discussion about it. It's quite visible. We see it on mm. our everyday life. In construction, we talk about packaging as well. But I guess there are so many different other issues and kind of just the volume of the materials in themselves can sometimes mean that we don't focus so much on, on just the packaging. But I just wonder whether from your experience, 
um, is there any change in in the pack in packaging the regulations mm -hmm. that will yeah, there affect? Are, there are some changes coming through. Yeah, I mean, um, pa packaging is quite uh, as traditionally it's been quite a big source of waste. So it's there's some figures that say that around a third of the waste from a construction site or construction sites on average is packaging waste, like and that's mainly timber, cardboard, and plastic. Mm -hmm. And quite a lot of that could, is not really necessary and could be reduced and, and re recycled or not, not completely or completely avoided rather than going to landfill. Changes on the horizon at the moment, people are starting to focus on, on reuse and reclamation and take back schemes. So the, the Alliance of uh, Sustainable Building Products, they're starting to look at ways to reduce I mean, plastic waste, particularly with deposit schemes for pallets and so on. And also the uh, considerate con constructor scheme is starting to look and provide guidance on tackling plastic waste from construction sites. In terms of legislation, there's the uh, plastic packaging tax, which is coming in, uh, scheduled to come in on the 1st of April, which puts a levy on virgin plastic for packaging. So that's very much likely to affect um, plastic packaging for construction products. I know of at least one construction product manufacturer that's looking at ways they, that they can completely elim eliminate their plastic wrapping. They're looking at alternative ways of, of doing it or avoiding packaging, such packaging completely. So there's some, some things going on, definitely. That's it's a fantastic. Big, a big focus at the moment of the, of the industry. Yes, no, absolutely. And I'm starting to hear more and more about it again, um, yeah. <laughs> rather than just uh, as a, something that we're just discovering. But this is, um, this is fantastic. I just wonder whether we could just touch on another very big topic very quickly with Sue. Do you want to tell us a little bit about digitalization and how it comes into the construction industry and perhaps become an enabler for some of the change? Yeah, I mean, certainly from what I know, um, obviously within, within within the industry itself, we use it to try and use it to understand the processes that have been going on for decades better. So you have better control over it. And therefore, you're, if you like, more efficient, use less fuel, make better products and all that sort of that flows from that. Then there is the part where you use it to cut short the number of years it would take you to develop a new product from five or 10 to 15 years to something like two or three years because you've used um, digital assistance is always useful because it goes beyond if you like human capability and to you know look at troll through all of the known data and to actually condense it to a form uh, in which it is far more usable than it was in uh, in, in previous times so we're certainly employing uh, looking at both of them, and I'm sure all our uh, competitors and all of the, the whole wider industry is using it, not just in glass. One of the biggest issues actually is that in this area is the lack of qualified people to support industrial ambitions. And this is a huge uh, concern, and it's not just for us. And I hear that even from institutes who are specialized in this field. And if they can't recruit, I mean, we have probably even less chance uh, to recruit. So I think it's one of the, the biggest challenges that we face. I really don't think it is just a UK issue. I think it's a global issue um, because everyone's woken up to the fact that digital can help you cut costs. It can reduce times. It can improve your quality and do all sorts of wonderful things, right? And then everybody wants to move that in that direction. And there's very, very few people that can actually do that for you. 
I think that really is a huge issue um, going forward. Um, and I think, yeah, so digitalization is going to creep into almost every aspect that, of what we do uh, without question. And in terms of building and construction, I certainly know of activities in universities, certainly here and also abroad, where they're looking at buildings very holistically. And when you do digital mapping of a building, you can plan the whole thing right down to its um, nuts and bolts using digital and you can see what works one what, what won't work and i think it's a critical enabler for the modular construction area that, that um, ali has been talking about and which i've previously mentioned as well i think if you know it can go beyond that for me it from a design it can actually pick the type of materials you might even need that would work in a modular fashion it could probably define for the manufacturers what is required and it, you know, and then you follow the supply chain backwards and to see what sort of things that you need to make those things up in the first place. It really has a, a huge potential. Now the question is, do we have enough people to realize the potential? And do we have the government, if you like, will to try and push that through, you know, as a means to an end, if you like. And I think that's where the challenge really comes. And as far as I can tell, I think there's enough, certainly enough funding in the country to be able to do that. There's certainly a lot of positive noises coming from all the right quarters. Is I, like I say, I think the challenge is going to be finding the people to do it. I don't know what other the others think, but that, that's my view. No, uh, it's a very interesting point, and I and I guess it's a. Uh, I think you're right that some of the the biggest challenge is probably just kind of the the way the industry is going to have to change, and therefore will require people to think differently and with slightly different skills, which they might not had in in the past. And maybe when we're talking about modernizations, Ali, it's more it maybe is it's about digitalizations, it's about sustainability, it's about doing the same with less and better, and and in a different kind of frame of mind. So I was just going to say, um, I think digitalization of standards is probably going to help rather than, rather than having to have a, someone that's highly experienced to find their way around the standards and, and work with them and bring them together. If, if that's much more digitalized and you, you, uh, people still need to be expert, but they don't need so many years of experience to know their way around. They, can, they are helped by the technology. I've heard that mentioned in the industry as a big way forward as well. That's fantastic. Ali, do you have a final comment or? I think on the digitalization front, it opens up so many opportunities, not just through the design phase, but through the construction and operation phase and that end of life. You know, Flavia, I know you were involved in the Buildings as Material Banks project, and that was all about that digitalization piece. But the full range of having a digital built environment and really understanding you know, what's in it, how's it being used, how's it performing, what, you know, there's so far that we need to go to. Um, I think it's except the uptake of digital has really accelerated, especially on the construction site side of things through COVID as people have had to, you know, do more remotely, there's new technologies coming through and hopefully we'll accelerate the rate at which, which we digitalize. I think we've been late adopters, shall we say, of these technologies. But actually, I think there's there's a lot of opportunities now. And I think there's more of an openness to utilize these technologies. And, you know, I think sometimes people get fixated on one particular aspect of the digitalization approach, but actually there's a lot more that needs to be done to bring it all together in terms of, at the end of the day, buildings and built environment is about 
helping people and economies to work better. So I think anything that we as industry partners, players can do to make that happen and make that in a more efficient and effective way is brilliant. And we, we need to, there's so many parts involved in making that happen. And we, if we forget one part, it could fall down very easily. And I think that's where the materials side comes in. Thank you very much, Ali. This has been an amazing conversation, guys, and I wish we could go on for much longer, but uh, we are now out of time. But I'd like to thank you all very much for, for your input today. For more information about us, visit iom3.org. Or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at iom3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.